0: In a world where people strive to conquer the digital landscape, the best leaders are moving forward and planting flags. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear about the thrill
1: of digital victory and the industry's best guidance on how to win with your host, Michael O'Sullivan.
0: All right, I have something here today that I I, got to share with you because I just have to see here hold on let me get uh, let me get back to the top all right I am I am looking um, well okay let me let me back up I, I decided before I recorded uh, the episode that you're gonna hear here in just a minute is uh, I I wanted to just give myself I wanted to educate myself a little bit more on just some key some key tidbits related to industrial reliability of course we you know we talk about this sort of thing uh, all the time, you know. I guess, but you know, sometimes before I record an episode, I just like to kind of like get, get a, key, a few key points um, in, in my in my head before we start. And um, and I can safely say that uh, this, in that regard, was a complete failure. This particular this particular exercise. However, in the uh, under the heading of interesting and entertaining, I did find. Uh, I'm looking at this piece of writing here. Uh, This this piece called, and the title is Fractured History of Industrial Reliability. And it was written by a gentleman named, let's see, Larry, Larry Bacchus. I hope I'm saying that correctly. B-A-C-H-U-S, Larry Bacchus. And and this was written uh, just about a year and a half ago, um, July of 2020. And uh, it appears on a website called Empowering Pumps. Dot .com, empoweringpumps.com. And by the way, Larry's nickname is apparently uh the pump guy. So Larry the pump guy Bacchus has written this article. Um yes, yes. He's also uh, Larry is also an inventor, writer, maintenance practitioner and retired member of ASME uh and he's based in Nashville, Tennessee. Anyway, um, when i saw this title fractured history of industrial reliability and i was and i saw that it, it was empoweringpumps.com i was certain that I was on the right track. And uh, here's what you'll find. And I, and I encourage you to do this when you just, you know, you're eating lunch or something, you just need a mental break, you wanna go read something that's really interesting. Go find this fractured history of industrial reliability on empoweringpumps.com. And the first thing that you will see, uh, this and this was a surprise to me, but the very first thing you're gonna see is uh, some, some photos of some classic airplanes like the Messerschmitt 262 and the Lockheed F-80. Um, Larry starts out this whole, uh, this whole thing about the fractured history of industrial reliability with really a very nice little, uh, kind of summary of the history of aviation, uh, leading of course to safety and reliability in aviation because, uh, naturally they do lead the pack and they're at the top of the heap when it comes to that, because of the obvious, um, uh, consequences if they are not. Um, and then it goes on and I'm, you know, I don't even know how to this for you you know how sometimes I'll like flip through and kind of give you the highlights I but it's fascinating it covers a lot a lot of different areas a lot of different interesting things there's certainly a lot in here about various industries and engineers and, and equipment and and um, some some really great f- photos there's a reliability billboard you might not have ever seen one of those um and and it kind of wraps up it's not quite at the end but toward the end you get to you get to a statement that says if your new refrigerator compressor failed at 30 months you'd throw that piece of junk into the garbage so i'm telling you folks this is uh this is worth the read you're going to need to set uh, set aside a few minutes though to do it now why and um, by the way, uh, thanks uh, thanks to Larry uh, for writing this and for and if you're out there, uh, I got to tell you, you I, I'm I think that you're probably a very fascinating person, um, and I'm not saying that, and I and I mean that with all sincerity. <laughs> it's not, I'm not being uh, 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 I don't know whatever the thing is. I'm, i I really mean that. I, I would love to meet Larry the Pump Guy, uh, and the reason why I get into now now let me let me before you start thinking. Before you start getting ahead of me, uh faithful listeners, uh Larry the Pump Guy is not my guest on on the show today. Uh but I do have somebody who is gonna talk about uh reliability, industrial, reliable, re, re, ooh, industrial reliability, and uh particularly in terms of what what we can do with it today in this world of digital transformation that we are pursuing hotly. Uh, we're going to hear about data-driven reliability, and we're going to hear about uh, kind of how digital twins and, and all these things are coming into play. But I, the the and it, it, but the better thing that the higher the higher value thing is that people are actually um, making progress and uh, and getting value, uh, seeing value from these pursuits, which of course is what. This show is all about oil and gas digital doers. We talk about people getting digital done and uh, and you're hearing it right here on the Oil and Gas Global Network, which is, of course, the largest and most listened to podcast network for the oil and energy industry. And this episode and every episode on this show is brought to you by our very good friends over at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, (HPE) really love those folks we we do a lot of stuff they 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 are friends of OGGN they're friends of the oil and gas industry they have a, a fantastic technology they have the foundation the underpinnings the found the, the digital foundation that you need it's scalable and operable and, and can go all around the world and, and support all of these, um, all these fascinating new digital pursuits and ambitions that companies, the companies have HPE is, 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 is the perfect partner to have you uh, to, to kind of have not, not only to have their, their equipment under the hood, so to speak, but they also have, they, they offer, they got great consulting, they got smart people that can really help you. And, and as I mentioned that they are a friend of the industry. So, so keep that in mind. Go to uh, hbe.com. You can learn all about it. Now, back to today's show. Um, well, that's all I'm going to say. We're going to talk about uh, reliability, and I have a fantastic guest. I just got to know him earlier today, uh, for a few minutes before we uh, before we ventured off on this uh, recording session. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the OGGN Spotlight Lewis Macon. And I am here with Lewis Macon, uh, which of course the audience already knows because they heard me say it right before that snappy musical interlude. But Lewis, uh, thanks for making time today. I know we had to reschedule a couple times, so I'm glad we finally got to do it.
1: Yeah, thanks, Michael, for uh, having me on the show today.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's good. I'm 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 excited about this one because um, I don't know. I think th- I think the word excited is a little overused. I'm not jumping out of my chair, but but <laughs> but but I am enthused because. Uh, this is an area that we haven't really covered uh, so much. I, mean, I know, and we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about some things that we have covered a lot, such as digital twins. But then we're going to talk about it in an area that we that we haven't covered so much on this show. So that that's going to be really good. But before we get into that, um, let, let's let's talk about you and and I. You and I were just getting to know each other. You're not somebody that I I knew previously, so I'm not as sure. well versed, and I don't have any like. Like history jokes to make about you, like when we were somewhere doing something. But I do, haven't
1: wrote my uh, autobiography yet, or anything like that. Yeah, so. yeah I, I
0: i got I got nothing on you, is what I'm saying. So, um, I do know that you've been at uh, at Pinnacle, and is it is it just Pinnacle or is it Pinnacle Reliability? What's the name of the company?
1: Yeah, so so today we're Pinnacle, and our tagline is Data Driven Reliability. Data Driven, so. and
0: we're going to get to that too. So, and I know exactly. you've been there for several years, eight or nine years, something like that. Um, it was, mm-hmm. in fact, I th- think it was your first. Is, is where you went right out of school. Um, you're a chemi, uh, ironically enough, working in business development, which like I want to understand that a little bit better. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> um, and but most interestingly, you don't sound like it. But you but you started out in the UK, right?
1: Yep, yep. Born and raised uh, originally from a small town city called Peterborough in the UK, about 15 minutes. Outside of Cambridge, most people know that because of the school. Right. But yeah, right. I've been in the U.S. now for quite a long time. So uh, the it, British uh,
0: yeah creeps it out. Come out it's a little bit like you can like I, the more <laughs> I listen to you, I can hear it. I can hear it kind of creep out a little bit here and there. But uh, but yeah, but for you know, sure. It doesn't it doesn't strike you right at the beginning. So all right. So, um, I you know there's something that I got to ask you about because I uh, you know I always try to do a little bit of homework on uh, on people. Um, You know, not in a stalking sort of way, but just so I know know who you are. And I I came across this thing in your profile somewhere, and this is quite a strong statement, so I I have to ask about this. It's completely irrelevant to the whole conversation, but it says that you find immense enjoyment, immense enjoyment in strategic business development. So, mm-hmm. did you write that one by, on your own, or did is there was it like is that a resume writer that did that, or how did you?
1: No, no, no. That's that's hundred uh, percent Lewis uh, on that front. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, as you mentioned, uh, chemistry by degree, uh, I actually do have a physics degree as well, BS in physics. Uh, don't ask me why, why. not.
0: Why why, why why wouldn't you want to just go back and knock another one out?
1: Well, uh, yeah, I started with physics and then realized, okay, I, need the, I either need to become a PhD to do anything that I would like to do, or I would become like a high school physics teacher or something. And yeah, so yeah, yeah, sure. I then was like, no, I want to be more practical in the field. And so I kind of, you know, uh, had the engineering degree on that. But um, yeah, in terms of the business development piece, and, and as you mentioned, like my immense enjoyment I probably spent over half of my career now at Pinnacle on the business development side, right? And and at Pinnacle, it's not so much about I'm selling a product or a widget, but I get the ability to meet with customers, companies across different industries, right? Not just oil and gas, but mining, water, wastewater, manufacturing, and just have conversations with them around what are your pain points? What are you trying to accomplish, right? What are your goals? And so that aspects of business development is where I really find that immense enjoyment, where I can say, okay, here's what you're trying to accomplish. How can I get and take that, package that, work with partners uh, to then build a solution, and then and then execute that. So yeah, sure, sure. That, that's what I mean by that strategic business development piece. Um, well, and that's why it, yeah. I'm in in that today. Yeah, it's,
0: <clears> and I and I yeah, and I'm glad you you framed it that way because. One um, of the, and this is this has nothing to do with digital transformation. Well, it kind of does, but <laughs> but um, but I've been kind of in that world as well. And sometimes people just read business development as like a code word for sales, but it's really yep. it really is um, it's a lot more than that. Uh, especially when you're when you're working with a, a uh, you know a smaller or mid-sized company and you're trying to kind of build out that whole piece of the business, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. One one thing just on that, uh, Michael, like we don't actually have sales engineers. We call them solutions engineers. Yeah. And we're deliberate about that because we're not trying to sell you anything. I mean, yeah. I say that with as much, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, as, as I can, right? But, like, at the end of the day, like, we've turned down more work than we've accepted as well because yeah. we don't think that's a solution that we can solve or that we don't think that's a good idea. So,
0: yeah. anyway, but, I don't want to worry too much about me. That does <laughs> – that's uh... – that actually does make you a little bit different from some other people. All right, so you mentioned um, so you mentioned data driven reliability. I want to I want to get to the data driven part of that, but first, um, you know, so we're going to talk about reliability, but, mm-hmm. which is obviously like reliability is is a, a huge thing in oil and gas, um, like all over the place, uh, and it's it's a g- great area for digital transformation, but. You know, we also have kind of we have kind of a broad audience, and reliability maybe means different things to different people. Um, so, what let's let's kind of like frame out like what 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 aspects of reliability uh, are we really going to focus on? What what we're talking about today? Like where uh, yeah, so where in the industry are we are we looking at reliability?
1: Yeah. So, if you think about, I, I guess the shape of the market and what we talk about in terms of reliability. You know it's really around any anybody that's in a heavy industrial complex right so obviously okay. your refineries your chem plants mining facilities anything that deals with large complex systems now when we think about like people ask well, Tim, what does reliability mean in kind of your perspective and, it, and it's it's really kind of quite simple right but it's the measure of failure or the lack thereof of something performing as it should. Right. Mm-hmm. So reliability, like we deal with reliability every single day in our lives. Sure. When you okay. drove to the office today uh, or use your car to go to H E B or the grocery store, you put your faith in that car to be reliable. Yeah. Right? You go on a plane, you entrust that that's a reliable. Our entire logistic, you know, supply chain is not reliable right now with semiconductors, right? And so that proves, <laughs> you know, the impacts of that. And so yeah. when you look at the world that we live in, reliability is everywhere, right? It's the ability that something's working as it should. When I turn the faucet at my sink or I take a shower in the morning, I've got clean water.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And then that's not the case, unfortunately, even in the U.S. today, right?
0: And we well, we have this thing in te- te- You know, we have this thing in Texas called the Electric <laughs> Reliability Council I, of Texas. And that's and, right.
1: So and, and, that's and, a big one we touch on as well, right? Is the freeze and and the right. reliability of our power grid, and so which is fixed yeah, by the way. Con- I've been
0: I've been told it's fixed. So we have nothing. Oh, to, we is, have well, nothing um, to worry about this year. Great. And, uh,
1: <laughs> they, they must have just you know. <laughs> put some more lines in I guess don't something
0: well you know they, they wrap it wrap it with a little bit more tape so um, all right so so you're talking about so industrial liability which uh, which as you said yeah we deal with it everywhere in our lives in the industry you know perhaps maybe not um, as, as at the level that, uh, that the airlines worry about right. but but uh, a lack of reliability in in those environments that you talked about you know, right refineries or even out on a on a well site or whatever, um, I, I mean, it, it can cost a lot of money. It can get, people can get hurt, right? right. People can die, unfortunately. Um, it, like the stakes are pretty high when it comes to even if you leave the safety part out of it, which which you can't do. But if you did, um, th- like the financial stakes are pretty high. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I
1: mean. if You know, they've always said if you don't have a reliable operation or facility, then, you know, you're not going to make money. You're not going to be in business.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, So, yeah, there's definitely an economic aspect to that. Obviously, the safety, health, environmental aspect has always been a part of that, too. I mean, you you talk about, like, the ESG and the sustainability. A lot of the conversations we're having with our customers, again, is how can we make our facility more reliable? Because a reliable facility is a sustainable facility, right? So. yeah. You know, those things continue to kind of open doors in in the market that we play in. I will say, you know, and this is definitely a people thing, but the culture around reliability has has really transitioned quite a lot over the last 10 years. And what do I mean by that? Yeah. So if I look when I first started, you know, reliability uh, was it's and even to this day, it's still a little bit siloed, right? It was, it was looked upon as, you know, from the operations side of things, hey, just make sure my equipment works. I'm going to go full throttle, make sure it doesn't break. You know, your job is to make sure it doesn't break and then fix it, right? The maintenance and everything else. Right. Well, today, right, right. because of the margins, because of the world that we live in, reliability is becoming more and more of a strategic priority than it's ever had before, right? Mm. So when we talk to C-level executives and and, and facility owners and things like that, it's, man, they've got an entire plan around, okay, how do we obviously optimize production? How do we make sure that we're safe? But then how do we do that in the most cost-effective and streamlined way in terms of maintenance and reliability? And so it's really changing the view on that. And so what you see now really you know we talk about digital transformation and a lot of the priorities that companies have i think pretty much everybody has some type of digital transformation initiative around reliability optimization maintenance optimization or anything like that and, and it's all interconnected right with the safety and the production side so, yeah
0: well so what you so so you said an interesting thing which uh it, well it's sort of an obvious interesting thing but um it, that reliability is becoming a strategic, you know, I forget exactly what we said, but a strategic thing, a strategic component now where it hasn't been in the past. Yeah. But you could actually say that sentence and swap out a whole bunch of things right now in the industry. There's a lot of things right that mm-hmm. are suddenly becoming strategic uh, that used to be, as you said, just add, ah, don't worry about it like you know, or mm-hmm. the old thing about um, well, I already know it works this way. so and I already know I can make my numbers this way and I already know I can so so right. so so don't fix it, if it ain't broke. But, um, but this is so, but this makes me, but this kind of brings me to the question of, um, so anytime we, you know, any, anytime these, uh, technical geniuses like you guys and over there at Pinnacle get, (laughs) get into the game of trying to, you know, now we call it digital transformation. We used to call it other things in a particular area. It means that, um, that, uh, you know, don't fix it if it's not broken. Like maybe it is broken. And, um, and the and I'm just gonna I just want to add one more thing on that, and then I want to see what you think. But but you know, if you if you're not an industry insider, you might get the perception from the media or the way people talk that uh, the uh, that the industry that the oil and gas industry, when it comes to like reliability and safety and things working the way they're supposed to, is kind of. Um, well, I can't say the word I want to use because this is a family show, but uh, it's kind of a mess, right? Like it's like it's yeah. like it's but but in fact, it's actually always been quite good. It's, it's better than mm-hmm. what it's better than what people think. Maybe it's not airline level, but it's better than what people think. So what? Yes. What? So why? So 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 it's not an area that we've been terrible at. Um, what no, what's the driver for now f- elevating it to this level of wh- where's the opportunity?
1: Yeah. So. So, just a, a quick kind of uh, extension to what you were saying there, Michael. You know, if you take availability numbers from kind of the 1980s in just refining in the US, I think we're around the low 80s, okay. meaning that 80% of the time, right, the facility was available to be run. Mm-hmm. Today, our average is closer to, you know, the low 90s, 92, 93. So, sure. over that period of time, as an industry, we've taken the average. Right, over ten percent. I mean, that's not a small feat, and that's, that's a, and
0: that's a hard ten percent. That's not an easy ten percent. No, yeah. that I mean, that's yeah.
1: you know, that's we're talking about more complexity and assets um, than than a than a lot of different industries. Right, the the unique thing about the refining industry and in oil and gas is that you've got you know over hundred or so refineries in the world. Each one of them is unique. It's not like an iPhone. If an iPhone breaks, guess what? Like we've got all this data, it breaks a certain way, and we can work that. Right. It's not the case in the complex industry space.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but but going back, what was your question again? <laughs> so, uh, so the TV question up.
0: is so if, if so so w- w- it's not, it's an area that, as you said, we've improved. Um, yes. We're actually pretty good at. And yeah, it's, uh, it's becoming a strategic, more of a strategic component. And there's people like you guys jumping in there and saying, we can do so much more here. So, yep. so talk about that a little bit. Why, it, you know, we're good at it, but we're not good enough at it.
1: Yeah, so, so a couple things um, kind of goes back to the, the three categories, right? Number one, the safety aspect and, and uh, the environmental piece. We still to this day, right, have major incidents you know, even in Houston, fires, you know, explosions, and around the world, right, still sure. to this day. And a lot of that, you know, I mean, we're still hurting people, right? That's unacceptable, right? right? That should be, look at guys, we're living in an age today where I can Zoom my grandparents across the world, send them attachments and pictures and all these things. Like, why are we still having safety incidents where people are getting significantly hurt? Right. So there's definitely improvement to be made there, and I think reliability is a key piece there. The second piece, going back to kind of the availability, okay? So, okay, if we're on an average now of 93, okay, well, what's happening to that market, it's becoming more and more tight. Mm. So if a competitor of yours is able to, you know, operate at 1% more or 2% more, that's where, I mean, we're still talking big numbers here, right? Millions, even billions of dollars generated and cash flow. And that's what's separating the best of the best, the cream of the crop
0: yeah.
1: from everybody else. And so as we go through this energy transition, right, whenever that's going to take place in so the next 10, 15, maybe by 2050, who knows? <laughs> but the people that are going to be still operating at that point in time are going to be the most reliable and available operators because they're leveraging their resources most efficiently. And so it's kind of a race against time right now. You know, um, we may not need the amount of gasoline on the market, although you'll see the gas prices, right, going up, higher levels, um, obviously, within this presidential reign. Um, And so, it's impacting inflation. It's impacting our way of life. And so, I think you'll start to see those things come more and more important as we move throughout this decade. Yeah. Uh, People focusing on that.
0: Right. (laughs) So, kind of what what you're getting at is um, the, the landscape. Is changing, right? For um, sure. The and the, the economics are changing at the consumer level. They're changing at the producer level, um, and so whereas you know we were um, so going from eighty something percent to to ninety percent in that environment. Uh, yep. was probably tremendous but now we've but but now we have a kind of a new game the, the interesting thing is these next few I mean I, I mentioned that going from 80 to 90 is not an easy 10 percent to get these next few percentage points are are even harder right Tenfold. Is, that's yeah. right that's yeah. it's
1: not a linear effort like scale yeah. right it's, yeah. you want to get one percent now you're gonna to have to try 10 times as hard
0: yeah yeah um, so, so what do we do so I know you I know you get this thing called uh... Um, so you guys are coming out with this notion of data-driven reliability. The idea of data-driven anything is is pretty popular right now. We're really focused sure. on, on, on particularly operational data and. And how do we use it in new and better ways than we did in the past? Um, you're also, you know, we talked earlier when we were chatting about digital twins, which are, which, which are in a very short time, digital twins went from something that makes people roll their eyes to something that's just popping up everywhere, like all over the industry, right? We're we're some sort of twin, or at least some sort of model with predictive capability mm-hmm. and things like that. So. So just you know broadly how does the how do these new digital innovations how, how do how do you bring those to bear to get us those next few percentage points that we probably we probably couldn't do otherwise
1: Yeah yeah no for sure and you know I think kind of going back to our frame right, framework because you know when we were going through this internally ourselves we were really struggling with a roadmap or somebody that says, okay, we've got this notion of digital transformation, right? We want a digital plant. We want smart plants and all these things, but how do you actually get to that point, yeah. right? What's the roadmap that I need to take? And so Pinnacle went out and we said, okay, let's build a framework, which is the data driven reliability framework. Um, and just to kind of give you a little bit of detail around that, so take any facility, water plant, mine, oil and gas facility, whatever, There's always data, right, that's being generated from that facility, whether it's inspection, maintenance, uh, process data, right, Uh, Right. financial data, um, that's also being influenced from the environment. Our main kind of, I guess our first step in that is saying, okay, how are we collecting the data today, right? Because we're generating a lot of data as a facility, but sometimes we're not even capturing that. Yeah. And so the first step for us is to understand and work with our customers to say, okay, what are the initiatives that you're doing today that are, that are focused around optimizing the way that you collect data? Okay, so where does that take you? Well, everything from the mobile tablet worker solutions to the IoT edge devices, right? Yep. yep. Okay, great. But what, what are we doing that for, right? There's a lot of initiatives today that people are doing because, oh, this is the next thing, right? This is cool.
0: Yeah, sure. But if
1: it's not being done from the framework of saying, well, what's the decision that we're trying to influence here? What's the impact? And so the framework actually kind of starts, yes, it's data collection is level one, but we do all of that to really drive a decision, right? Whether that's a maintenance decision, meaning should I go and repair this asset or this asset at this time? How much should I spend on that? Uh, Should I perform an inspection? Uh, leveraging this technique or another technique. And so there's all these types of decisions that we make as right. facilities daily. And so after the collection piece, and we've collected that, we really try to say, okay, how are we organizing that data? What are the source systems, right? There's been a substantial amount today of investment in cloud-based solar solutions, right? You've got Azure, you've got AWS. Right. Um, great. So now we've got all the data in the cloud. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> right. How now can I use that data to actually make a decision again? I yeah. can't.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And so that's where, you know, I'll kind of plug in our, our one of our partner companies here, Cognite. What they do is that is very unique is once they have data in a source system, right, whether that's SAP, Maximo, Process Historian, whatever, they really specialize in extracting that data, right, serving that up, contextualizing that. And what contextualizing means essentially is, OK, I have one asset, let's say a pump how can I connect all of the associated data that I have available at my facility today to that pump, whether that's drawings, process data, inspection histories, maybe even failure stuff, right? They do that really well. And then they offer that up to us, Mm. right? As a company, as a service provider. And then what we do is we take that data and we run models in our intelligence layer. And so we're doing data analytics, we're doing statistics, we're using machine learning, we're using AI, right? Uh, all of these different things to then use that data to then help ultimately a decision. But it all kind of goes back into these four different levels, data collection, organization, intelligence, and decisions. And a lot of the facilitated conversations we have with our customers start at the, well, what's the decision that you're trying to make? And what's the value of that decision? And then we work back to build out the workflow and the solution set. So that's kind of our process and what DDR is, or data-driven reliability.
0: Yeah, okay, so it's, um, you know, it, 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 it follows the pattern, which um, I think, I, you know, I, I get your point about a whole, a whole bunch of stuff out there has been done. Um, and I, I laugh about this all the time, about how, you know, it was in the 90s the first time I heard somebody say, we shouldn't do technology for technology's sake. Right. And uh, and we haven't entirely, like, we're still learning that lesson a little bit. Uh, but yep. but I think, um, and, and so, so even if you go back, even if you roll the clock back, uh, 18 months 24 months there was quite a lot of uh, let's do this because it's cool I, I think people are getting a little better at at least sure. um, at least in terms of their like frame of mind like I think this notion of like let's figure out what problem do we want to solve let's figure out what decision do we want to make right or you know, sometimes everything that you just described is be, is, is also employed not so much for decision making, but like for like functions like automation or things like that. Yep. I think people are getting the right frame of mind, but, but where they, the next kind of like obstacle that they come up against, you know, the first one being sort of self-imposed, right? Yep. They just like went off chasing shiny objects. The second obstacle is... Wow, like doing this in the real world is different from doing it in the lab, right? In the like the POC worked beautifully, um, mm-hmm. and as soon as we start going out there and trying to do all those things that you just said, uh, which by the way, you may say that you're uh, excited about business development, but you're also excited about that whole that that whole data uh, thing that you just described. Um, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a nerd at heart. I yeah. mean, like, that's clear. You know. That's clear. That's coming through. That's <laughs> coming. That's that's coming through. So. Um, but but then you get to this point of well, great yeah like we understand that conceptually we have a couple of smart people who made it work over here in, in sort of a lab environment but now we're trying to get that out um, in in the wild and yeah. uh, and our six week project just turned into a two year project and mm-hmm. nobody's happy about that so how wh- so and, and particularly in this and and in this uh, you know in this podcast. Uh, we want to really not capture not just what's happening with the technology, but how are people getting success from mm-hmm. this? And that's in my mind, that's where this uh, scenario that you're describing starts to become difficult. So how how do you how do you get past that um, that uh, you know hard hard to to do it in the wild problem?
1: Yeah, so you know I think you're you're exactly right, and I do want to clarify. You know I. We've come a long way, and I I find it very rare today that people are doing things just for the sake of doing them. Like, there's a lot of structure around the value case for sure, but let me give you an example of kind of this siloed mentality that we sometimes deal with, right? Sure. When let's take an example. We've got a customer, and you know we're looking at the data collection phase, and so they're like, "Man, we really, you know, we've got a lot of good results out of Spot, right? The the robot dog from Boston Dynamics. We can." collect visual information that before we were doing through the human uh, interface. Uh, we can do autonomous rounds. It can look at dials and gauges, right? I mean, this is... Yeah, It's you know, ama- I, I, I love
0: Spot. Spot's fantastic. We, we did an episode right. about Spot uh, last year. And uh, yeah, it's the, it's like, it's the coolest thing since Betty White. For so yep. uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. God rest <laughs> her soul, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so take the Spot, right? So okay, we, we're collecting data now, more data than we previously did. Okay, now though, when you get to that real world, okay, now we've got it in a POC where there's not that much data, right? And we don't have to figure out, well, how are we gonna store that data? How are we gonna organize that data? And then how are we going to enable enterprise use and consumption of that data? And so that's why I think that the data-driven reliability framework, as you look at those different categories, we always build a solution set across the entire framework, right, and I'm not saying that people aren't doing that today. There are some that are, but when we really lean into that and say, okay, we're gonna use the Spot Dog to collect this information,
0: Mm -hmm, okay? mm -hmm.
1: Then we're gonna use this application to store it. Then we might use the Cognite Data Fusion platform to contextualize that information. And then as a reliability engineering persona, I'm now able to then leverage that data to adjust my maintenance plan Right, a lot more quicker than I would today because today my path is I collect it in the field, it's on paper, it goes to an admin, they input it into the system and the system <laughs> right. is now four different right. access logins to get the same piece of information. So right there, right, you're cutting down on the time that's wasted to just use and access data to make a decision. Yeah. Right. Then you start adding on all the machine learning and the AI and everything. And now you've got a, basically a value stream from the data collection the organization now you've got ai running on top of that where you're now automating decision making offering that up to an end user so I, I say all of that just to say look there's not a golden bullet to make things work but always looking at it from that framework has helped us implement things quicker than anybody else right we talked about these two-year implementations look i was part of many project teams where it's was like two, three years to go implement like a system, right? Because you gotta bring all this data into one system. Right, right, right. But today, you keep the data in whatever system it is, we'll extract that from that, we'll then use that, and then we can deliver value in six to eight weeks. Right? And, And that may not be like an entire work stream, but we talk about image analytics and and different things like that. I mean, we can set that up real quick, you know, and actually drive business decisions and use that momentum to to push forward.
0: Right. Yeah. The six uh, the six to eight week time frame seems to be the thing that uh, is really um, is the is a recurring theme. And uh, because you know, first of all, uh, you know, there's a little bit of money coming back into budgets, but but it's <clears throat> but it's not. Um, it's, it's very conservative, right? It's very much mm-hmm. here. Here's some money. Let's see if we can get some value from this, and if we can, then we can do a little bit more. So, um, what? What? Um, so, where do you? So, you're out there working with, um, and you're you're a customer facing guy, right? So, you're out there. Correct. Right. Right? Yeah, you're out there mm-hmm. talking because you're because you have immense enjoyment in strategic business development. But uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so. Never goes away. Um, so, what do you? Um, you talked about some things in the abstract, some general things. Um, mm-hmm. What are as you're working with people, and you're kind of, and you're doing what what I would consider sort of a consultative approach, right? Um, you're saying, where are you now? Like people are saying, this is where we want to be. This is where we are. How are we going to get there? Um, sure. What What's What's the prize that people are? I mean, specifically, where are you seeing? Um, people applying this framework, this methodology, this way of doing things, uh, and, and what, um, what does it look like? Like what is there, so now, so once it's done, what does their world look like? And And who, and who gets excited about it? Like who are the people out there in the real world whose lives have really been changed? That's a huge, yeah, no, that's a big, huge no, question, question, but I, I feel like you can right? handle it. Yeah, you could. Thinking you could. how I navigate and unpack Sometimes that. I talk, I talk the question out a little bit longer just to give you time to think about what you're, what you're going to say.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think try to go back to like an, an actual customer, uh, scenario here. Right. So, you know, one of the things, so we're working with a customer, uh, Gulf coast, uh, energy provider, um, everybody probably knows who they are, but not at liberty to kind of mention. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were really struggling with this notion around, right, turnaround planning, their annual maintenance planning. Um, Basically, you know, they would spend a lot of engineering resource time, a lot of money, a lot of time building what we call these plans. Right. And so their traditional way of doing that is you get a bunch of people in a room, you build some lists, um, you get, you take that to management and you say, hey, this is how much money I need right from the budget. yeah, And uh, they basically say, yep, no, or cut this much. And they go back to the drawing board and they redo the thing again. So that let's say we're in 2022 now, right? We got our budget approved, we got our plan approved. Boom, have an incident, right? February 1st and things change, right? This organization, right? really wasn't set up to adapt their existing plan now that something happened and that doesn't mean that it has to be in a safety incident but maybe there was a decision to run a different crude slate or there was a decision to increase utilization right that's a, that's been a big kind of challenge for a lot of these yeah, refiners sure. during covid like reducing their rates and now bringing them back up again maybe they're switching to biodiesel right like the list goes on in, in terms of the changes and so what they what they really struggled with is saying okay we're it's not until August, October, where we're able to then rebuild the plan because it just takes so much time, yeah, right? We're, yeah. we're inundated with a multitude of systems, right? Like we're talking 30 plus different systems that people have to access, reliability engineers, management people to just figure out what's the current state of this asset. Yeah. And so if you magnify and multiply that across the world, right? the amount of time that's wasted doing that is quite significant. And so what we did is we said, okay, look, what if we understood what's the decision we're trying to make, right? Okay, we're trying to be more agile in our ability to plan. Mm -hmm. Meaning if there's a change, like a process change, or maybe there's an event or we get a reading back that we don't like, our entire plan can can be more dynamic and can be more agile. Right. And so if I was to come in on Monday morning, what we provide back to the customer is a dashboard right, that says, hey, uh, this was your plan last week. Here's your current forecasted availability, performance, whatever you want to see. Uh, and here's your upcoming plan, and we're able to do that a lot quicker, right? Um, basically, to the point where it, I want to say instantaneously, but to the point where we can update plans on a daily, weekly basis, whereas before you're talking at best a top tier performer would adjust plans on a quarterly basis,
0: right? Right. Okay. So now, me, why do I care? Yeah. 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 Well, that, yeah. That's I, I was going to pause you, and that was kind of what I was going to say is, but but if I, but if I if I get what you're saying correctly. Today, because of it's so labor intensive to just mm-hmm. just to assess and 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 uh, update or create the plan. 'Cause a whole bunch of people gotta go around, they gotta look at a whole bunch of stuff and you know yep. and, and I gotta take your stuff and use it for my stuff and right and, and and everybody everybody takes all the data from all their spreadsheets, they distill it down into a PowerPoint, then somebody takes that PowerPoint and explodes it back out into a new spreadsheet, right? Like this yep. is this happens all over the industry.
1: And then you gotta go execute it in the field, right? Right, yeah. which is like another multitude of systems right. and another multitude of layers and people.
0: So because of that, if I have a plan in place <laughs> And the one thing that we know, any of us that have, has ever managed a project or right, really done anything in life, is that um, the one thing you know about it, whatever your plan is, you know the one change. thing you know for sure is going to change, right? <laughs> so, so if, if something happens, if there's an event or or whatever the, the various things are, what you're saying is, I'm kind of stuck with the plan the way it is. So yep. I'm just I'm just wounded now um, because it's a long way to get to the hospital, right? Yeah, uh, and, and we're
1: of, blind, right? I mean, in essence. You know, we we don't know now what our plan should be, and are we actually spending the right money on the right assets, or they're prioritizing the right things?
0: Yeah, that's maybe that's a better that's a better analogy. You so know? it's so I'm 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 flying the plane, but. But I don't know where I can't, I can't see. I don't know where I'm going. Right? Uh, yeah, you lost an
1: engine, and now it's like, okay, now manually reroute your course. Right? Yeah, to say, okay, yeah. where can I land?
0: Okay. All right. I mean, so that's the state of things as they are today. So I can see. So to the you were you were going to roll into why do I care? Um, mm-hmm. I think I, I think I can see why I care because I don't want to spend the next three, four, five, six months in that state. Right? I mean, because that can lead to more problems. I would guess.
1: Yeah. And, and typically, right, a lot of our businesses operate off of annual budgets, right? And so if there is a change to the plan, you want to capture that as early as you can, right. and then readjust. Well, if you're not getting to that change until August timeframe, you've already spent a significant amount of your budget in that calendar year, and you've only got a small window now to go do the things that you truly need to do. Yeah. So that's one. The other piece is that through that process, because there's so many different silos, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so many different people, that's where you have the quality issues. That's where you miss things, right? That's where people are making decisions without sure. all the data. Right, and right. then that's what leads to the big events. That's what leaves, right? It's not, very rarely do facilities have incidents where they're like, oh yeah, we kind of knew. right? Like. There was a multitude of different events that happened in a very unique way. One person missed one piece of information and then cascaded and then here you go. So if you take that mental load off of them Mm -hmm. to simplify that and streamline that, they're going to be able to see that, right? We're human beings. So – there's kind of those two. It's an efficiency thing for sure, which is kind of like one of those things where you're like, well, yeah, no duh.
0: Yeah, sure. But then
1: right. in the back end of that too, it's the quality and it's the the product and the decisions you're making are a lot better. They're more right. quantitative, you right. know, versus just somebody's gut feel.
0: Yeah. So, <clears throat> which creates a lot more long-term um, stability mm-hmm. um, and and uh, yeah, I can see I can see how all that comes together. I, it, it does make me think about one thing though, which is um, sometimes. So it's great. So now you have this data-driven approach, right? And and I mean, I think we can sort of envision where all that goes, right? You, you got you got a digital twin. It's doing a lot of predictive kind of analytics, and you're or you're able to test out different scenarios and see what happens, adjust your plan, etc. Um, yep. But sometimes when you give people um, a fast car, they don't necessarily know how to drive it, right? So I could see where you could bring this this new capability of speed into um, to so, so now you have the agile capability but are a lot of these organizations are not natively agile in their ability to work right so are mm-hmm. you are you seeing that people are able to kind of like reorient themselves around this type of a, of, a, of a dynamic
1: yeah so that's a that's a great observation actually Michael and one of the things that we see alongside the digital transformation piece is not so much just around the technology or the applications yeah but the people the people and the systems and the way that we manage and work processes and training, they're all changing too, right? They're all being upgraded. And so that's why you see so much, I would say, effort being put into like connected individuals or connected workers, not just from the field standpoint, but from an industrial like corporation standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. That's why Microsoft comes out with things like Microsoft Teams and all these different collaboration tools. And so you're starting to see also, the people side of things also accelerating and becoming more and more attuned to that. And so, you know, I think with any change, right, you've always got to consider the people component. Um, but, you know, we go back to like a customer with like a digital twin that we're doing, and. You know, you've got the technology piece on the visualization. So, okay, we're gonna go do some scanning, photogrammetry, right? The visualization is gonna be there. Yeah. Okay, now we're gonna focus on okay, where's all the data live and how do we connect that data to the drawing? And then finally it's around the modeling and the predictive capabilities. But if the person that ultimately is making the decision off of all of those things doesn't understand or is not in tune with that or Let's say organizationally set up in the right role to do that, right? It's all for a waste, and so we always look at bringing that together too. So it's a great point.
0: Yeah, um, it, yeah, it's pretty it's, cool.
1: It's, that's exciting too. You know, getting into the people organization piece right. and the, roles right. changing.
0: The the um, I, I always <clears throat> um, I sometimes kind of laugh about how anytime we talk about this stuff in this industry, it doesn't matter what the topic is, we're right? Al- we're always going to talk about three things. And we've now we've now hit all three of those things. The first is data, <laughs> is data which uh, you know, like your whole world is data, so that was that was a given. The second one is we're gonna we're gonna talk about silos, which right. which, you, which you covered. And the third one is we're gonna talk about culture, and right. which we now just came to. So <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> check check check. No. We got and that we, was not
0: planned, it. Doesn't matter. Right? It doesn't matter. We did it. not
1: prescribe that at all. It always kind of
0: it mind. will always happen. It will always happen. But it but it, I it's encouraging though. I think from an industry standpoint because it it kind of means like when you see recurring themes and when you see patterns it means perhaps that we're doing things the right way right we're tackling Mm -hmm. things we're doing things the right way so um so this is this is fascinating stuff i think um i'm looking at the let me check the clock here i want to make sure we don't talk too long because you know then people change the channel but um uh, I, I always ask people, you know, how it, how do how do people learn more? Obviously, you have a website. Um, is any any uh, any like if I want to learn more about this stuff, any you know besides the website, we'll, and we'll put a link to that in in the show notes. We'll link to your LinkedIn profile. Um, a, anything else? Mm-hmm. Where else can people look to learn more about this kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, so an, actually, another really good question. Um, so. So we kind of talked about some different topics. You know, we talked about the we started off with kind of the impact of reliability and the strategic nature of it. You can actually go on our website and actually download our economics of reliability reports. We actually release those okay. quarterly for every industry. So we've got oil and gas, mining, border wastewater. I think Q4 of twenty-one was the chemicals. Mm. So, if you want to kind of look at what's the impact that poor reliability is having on our different industries, like I think that's a great resource to go look out for. And again, the new oil and gas one will be coming out at the end of this quarter. Yeah. Uh, those are written from Jeff Krimmel, who's our chief strategy officer.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. That's excellent. That sounds like real, like real content, right? You know, are not, we're not
1: just, Oh, for sure. I mean, this stuff. is a 44 page yeah. document. I mean, our marketing team does a really good job making it look really slick and nice. We got a lot of. Uh, kudos from a lot of our you know pwc consultancy McKinsey, deloitte guys and they're like man this is like some good stuff yeah "Yeah."
0: well if you impress those people we're not a joke here come on (laughs) i can make a lot of jokes but we don't have time for them um so lewis macon thanks uh, for making time today i know you got to run on to your next thing but we'll put links to all that in the show notes and uh and uh, thanks for being on the show yeah thanks for having me michael pleasure And there you have it, Lewis Macon from Pinnacle Reliability. And it's it's great stuff. It's really great to hear um, that these digital pursuits that people have been talking about for quite some time now are actually finding their way into the real world and making a difference in the business. So, Lewis, thanks to you and your team, and also thanks again to our sponsor, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, HPE. Remember, folks, not the HP that you go down to Best Buy and you buy a laptop from it. This is a different company. They, This is Hewlett Packard Enterprise, and they used to be the same company, but then they split up some time ago. Um, so if you missed that press release, keep in mind that this is all about enterprise solutions. They've, they've got this concept that... Uh, uh, you know, I, I got to love, which is uh, everything is a service why shouldn't everything be a service? So I encourage you to go look at HPE, see what they're doing, particularly if you are one of those people who is somehow involved in helping your company move forward in, in digital. Also, thanks to all of our uh, listeners. I really appreciate, I know we're, 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 this isn't the first episode of the year, but it's, it's going to be the second episode of the year. So we're still kind of getting the year going. Thanks everybody for listening last year, which was the first year for this show. And, uh, you know, if you like it, tell your friends about it. Um, and, uh, and go have a look at all the other OGGN uh, podcasts that we have because they're all great. And, uh, and we love the industry. We're doing everything we can to help it. Uh, so thanks to the OGGN team for all of the hard work. We are growing. We got new things coming this year. So stay tuned. Follow us on LinkedIn uh, or wherever it is that you follow us. Uh, that's probably the best place. Keep an eye. Keep an eye on what's going on. Uh, there's going to be some new stuff. That's going to wrap it up for today. I will let you get back to whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing right now. But remember that you can always come right back here to hear some great stories about how people in oil and gas are getting digital done. Come back next week for yet another exhilarating expedition into the very real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.